officially, I'll give you a official Phillies good evening and, and welcome to our final installment of Strike Out the Stigma for, for this season. I was just talking with T.J. Farrell, and he deserves a, a big, uh, yeah, big round of applause. Raise your hand, T.J. He's hiding over there in the corner. But uh, it was T.J.'s idea to have uh, this panel discussion monthly uh, when, when he realized uh, what was going on in our society these days and the, the pressure f pressures that uh, everybody, young people and older people alike, uh, we're, we're feeling. So this is uh, the final one. I can't believe it. We just said it seems like it was just April. And, and here we are for our final uh, our final session. The Phillies, in conjunction with Minding Your Mind, present a community outreach initiative focused on bringing important conversations to the forefront about several things. The value of healthy life habits, supporting those around us, and most of all, removing the negative connotation surrounding uh, mental health challenges. Our topic of conversation for this month stems from the organization's overall efforts. We've been busy, if you've been watching TV or, or reading about what's going on here at Citizens Bank Park, uh, away from uh, the games themselves. Uh, we've been very uh, involved in childhood cancer. It's been Childhood Cancer Awareness uh, Month and Week. So our topic tonight is the mental side of battling childhood cancer. A portion of the proceeds raised tonight will be donated to Corey's Promise. That's a nonprofit started by the family of the late Corey Phelan. Uh, Corey pitched in the Phillies organization until his passing in 2022. He was a beloved member of the Phillies organization. There's no question about that. He made his impact on his teammates and everyone around uh, in, in the minor league system that, that he was uh, playing with and involved with. And we thank his parents, Chris and Christy, uh, for keeping Corey's legacy alive through Corey's promise. And uh, that is uh, where a portion of the proceeds are, are going to go tonight to Corey's promise. As I said, uh, we, we welcome a safe space here uh, during this conversation. We thank all of you who submitted questions ahead of time. Uh, and we have some of those here. But again, if you have a question, please raise your hand and, and we will make sure that we get some answers for you or at least try to answer those questions. Uh, tonight we'll be recording this and distributing tonight's panel for families uh, across uh, the tri-state area via phillies.com and Phillies podcast. We think this is important. Uh, we already know of some situations where uh, it's been passed on to, uh, to many people uh, in, in a group. Uh, and they've watched our, our panel discussions and hopefully they have been helped. We're lucky to have an incredible panel tonight to speak uh, with us, so let's meet them. First off, my co-host for this evening, he used to be a panelist before we realized we need you every, every month. <laughs> Dr. George James is here. He's a family therapist and uh, so good to have you as our co-host again. Uh, please let everybody know a little bit about what you do, Dr. George. Thanks, Scott. And uh, yes, thank you, TJ, uh, for this just awesome program. But before I go any further, Scott, it's been awesome being your co-host for the past six months that we've been doing this. I feel like I'm a better communicator just hanging out with Scott. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in the field of mental health for over 20 plus years, helping people. I do a lot of work helping people really navigate success and hopefully nurture uh, love and happiness. Uh, so I do a lot of work uh, with athletes and entertainers, uh, executives, as well as just families and couples. And it's just a pleasure to be here to talk about the intersection of mental health and sports. Thanks, Dr. George. Our, our next uh, panelist that I'm going to introduce to you is a valued member of our Phillies family, Bobby Della Pola. Uh, and Bobby, uh, why don't you let everybody know, this is not your first time here. We were uh, graced by your presence previously, but kind of let everybody know your background, what you do here, and, and why it's important for you to be part of this panel tonight. Great. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, so, like Scott said, my name is Bobby Delapola. I've been a member of the finance department for the Phillies for uh, about six years now, uh, mainly focusing on the revenue side of the business. Uh, my connection to this cause uh, really comes down to my nephew, Blaze. Um, so when Blaze was two, my uh, brother and sister-in-law noticed that he was walking with a little bit of a limp. Um, so they brought him down to CHOP, uh, ran a few tests, and that ended up with him in the oncology department uh, where he was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. 
And as tough and as hard as that was at the time, uh, the prognosis was very good. They caught it very early. It had not spread. It was very treatable. Um, but Blaze was going to have to go through uh, rounds of chemo, treatment, um, and it all culminated with a surgery to remove part of his femur and replace it with a piece of his tibia to remove the cancerous cells from his leg. Um, so then he began to retrain his leg, uh, build strength, get back to just being a normal kid. Um, his scans were good. He was doing extremely well. Um, and then unfortunately, during one of his follow-up visits, uh, he ended up being diagnosed with leukemia on Christmas Eve uh, 2018. Uh, this time, the prognosis was not as good. This cancer was much more aggressive, uh, much faster spreading, and he unfortunately passed away a few months later uh, in March of 2019, just after his seventh birthday. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law, who are a hell of a lot stronger than I could ever hope to be, uh, after his passing, immediately started taking steps to establish the Four Infinity and Beyond Foundation in his memory. Four Infinity and Beyond for Toy Story. That's why Buzz Lightyear is on my lapel. Um, and the, the purpose of the foundation is twofold. Uh, number one, to help families that are struggling financially due to a child having cancer, whether it be just paying bills, groceries, Christmas gifts, whatever it may be. And then number two, for pediatric cancer research in the hopes that Blaze's fight, you know, and his life can live on through future breakthroughs and cures. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I love, I love being, uh, you know, an advocate for them and, you know, supporting the mission. It's something that means a great deal to me and my family. Um, and it's a way for us to truly honor Blaze and his fight. And like I said, hopefully, you know, those future breakthroughs and cures while they weren't around to save Blaze can be around for the next kid. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And thank you for, for sharing, Bobby. Um, we're also delighted to have Patty Anaker with us today. Uh, Patty has also been with us before. She is the Vice President of Behavioral Health Services at Penn Medicine. Tell us a little bit about what you do there and, and uh, the big big week for you, uh, a ribbon cutting this yeah, week. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I have spent my entire career in community psychiatry, um, and that is a long career, 30-plus years working in community mental health. And um, it really stems from a sense that community mental health is for everyone and that we all really have to start to look at how do we reduce the stigma or eliminate the stigma for uh, mental health issues. And that's why I'm so appreciative of Minding Your Mind and the Phillies and TJ and all the folks that are saying, hey, this is something checkups from the neck up are as equally important as checkups from the neck down. And so for me, it's the person who's experiencing homelessness who needs to come in or somebody who's a college student or somebody who is a physician in our own practice that has mental health issues and really just being able to say, we all suffer in some way. And so I've spent my career doing that and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for your entire career of service, Patty, and especially thank you for being a part of our panel tonight. Dr. George, I'm going to give you the honor of uh, going ahead with the opening. Uh, we could give you the first pitch, but we'll give, you the, we'll give you the first question to our panelists. Oh, if I had the first pitch, what would that be? We might have to arrange it. I'd like to see what you got. Uh, we'll see. Well, thanks, Scott. Uh, our first question is going to go to Patty. Uh, we want to begin by talking about communication, especially with our loved ones. Uh, obviously, we're talking about something that can be very tough and difficult, uh, but sometimes it's hard to really communicate with our, our families. So how important is it to have open communication with our family and friends when dealing with difficulties uh, that a, a group may be facing? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is that we don't make up stories. Um, that you try to be as transparent as possible. And one of the things that's a good example of that is when somebody passes away and somebody says, well, they went to sleep. Well, in a child's mind, going to sleep then might be very challenging because what's going to happen to me if I go to sleep? And so really thinking about the transparency about that. The other thing I would say is that it's really about finding those trusted people that you can go to and be your authentic self. And when, when I say your authentic self, it really means that you can be your best self or your worst self, but that you're able to set appropriate boundaries. You share what you want. You don't share what you don't wanna share. And you pick people to confide in and to use as your resources for people who give you energy and not suck the energy from you. Because I think that when you're thinking about open communication, 
you want to be able to nurture yourself. You want to be able to have the energy for what's to come. And if you're using all your energy to navigate relationships and trying to use communication skills that are not working, then you really have to be able to, to garner that. And I think the other thing I would say is you're not obligated to communicate with people that you don't want to. They don't have a right to know unless you choose for them to know. And so setting those boundaries is really important. How long is the grieving process before you feel like you can talk to people about a loss of your loved one, Patty? And I guess it would be it's different It's not in my everybody. notes, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, oh, know, we always go off script. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the thing is everyone grieves differently, right? And so I think you have to know yourself. I think you also have to know what your triggers are. And I also think you have to, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but how to take care of yourself. And self-care is one of those things. And so if you're in a space where you can talk about it, then it might be two weeks, it might be two months, it might be two years. But I think you have to be able to know yourself and you also have to know where your networks are that you can be yourself and, and to process that. Because grief is, in, in my humble opinion, grief is a very, very, very insidious emotion that if we don't acknowledge it, it comes out sideways. And when it comes out sideways, you're sort of blindsided by, you know, what was that? And so I think acknowledging it is really, you know, key. But I, I, don't, I don't have a timeline. And if I did, I'd probably be rich. <laughs> but again, as you made a very good point, you get to make the call on that. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's your grieving. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby, you talked about Blaze uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and that your relatives, his mom and dad, were much stronger than, than you are. Uh, how important is it uh, to lend support to the extended family uh, when we have loss of a, a, a young person or someone who's dealing with cancer at a young age? Yeah, no, I think it. I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, I, I, I think that when a child gets diagnosed with cancer, I mean, your world stops, but the world doesn't stop, right? So when Blaze was diagnosed and as he was fighting, he had two siblings, he now has three siblings. Um, and you know, as parents, you still have to show up for your other kids. You still have to go to work. You still have to run errands, do all those things, the minutia of the day that just become so much harder while also, you know, having a child who is not healthy. Um, so I think it's incredibly important to lean on your community, lean on your friends, lean on your extended family, and not to be shy about it. You know, for me, as an uncle and as a brother, you don't really know what to do or what to say or how to act. You just know you want to help. You just don't know how to do that. And you also don't want to, you know, overwhelm your family members as they're going through something that's so tough and so personal. So I think just keeping that open line of communication and just, you know, understanding that people want to help, they just may not know how. And no matter the ask, whether it's big or small, people just want to help. And it can be something that is may seem small or tedious like, getting, you know, ordering pizza for the family or something like that. But it just goes, I saw it in, you know, the face of my brother and my sister-in-law just goes so far. So being, being, having that community around you is incredibly important. And one of my favorite sayings when it comes to fighting cancer is that no one fights alone. And I think it's incredibly true. And you can kind of see that community rally around you when you're dealing with such a tough situation. It can also be awkward, can it, to, to be the person who wants to help but doesn't really know how. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I felt that way all the time. You know, I felt like if I texted them on a Friday or Saturday night to do something or, you know, just take their mind off whatever whatever they're going through, it you know, you're having that internal struggle of like, am I overstepping? What, you know, do they want to hear from me? Um, but I think, it, you know, they they would tell you that they, they wanted that community around them. They wanted as much support and family and friends around as possible. Again, you just often may not know how. Um, so just reaching out, just having those conversations, just being open and willing to do anything definitely goes a long way. But it can, it can be tough, for sure. Probably can, you know, I have a client where their second child has dealt with some, some challenges, not cancer, but some challenges. And sometimes it was difficult uh, just dealing with the extended family. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about being an advocate to other family members. Uh, I don't know if you had to experience that, but what's it like to maybe support the family by talking to the other family members? Yeah, I mean, like we we tried to show up, at, at least for us personally, um, like you said, you know, allowing my, allowing my brother and sister-in-law to go to the hospital to focus on, you know, as a parent, the biggest thing for you is the health and safety of your children. So, you know, 
having the number one priority being taking care of that child who's not healthy um, and just, you know, being around for the other kids in the family and, you know, taking them to sporting events, activities, whatever it may be, just being there to support. Is that kind of the crux of the question? Yeah, or? I was also just wondering, like, the family members who sometimes don't get it and sometimes oh, can yeah. be challenging or just insensitive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, you know, you're dealing, you're already in a kind of, I guess, high pressure situation or, you know, a really tough situation. And then, you know, having opinions about how people should act and how they should next. Um, I think for us, it was just having those conversations and, you know, making sure, um, you know, that, that we, we felt we weren't attacking another family member because at the end of the day, we're all trying to get the same goal. We're all trying to help them get through an extremely difficult time. Some people may do it differently. Some people may have opinions that they're not handling it correctly. So I think having those open lines of communication with other family members to understand, you know, if, if you have a better understanding of the needs of the family that's really going through it, then, you know, I think that that's definitely helpful. But I think for me, it's just not, it's, it's doing it in a way that is not insulting or off-putting or standoffish, just in a way that, you know, is open. Cause at the end of the day, you're trying to reach the same goal. It's just, how do you go about that? Right. Yeah. And, and honesty always important, isn't it, Patty? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing too is don't make it about yourself. I mean, I, I, what what it is is don't take it personally. They're going through their own struggle, and don't make it about you when you're trying to help. If if you didn't get the reaction you want, because I think that sometimes we're trying to make ourselves feel better mm -hmm. in trying to help other people feel better. And in truth, if if I make it about myself, then it then it then it isn't about them. And I think if you can put that in perspective and really make it about them and don't get your feelings hurt and don't take yeah. it personally, then I think you'll come out better. Yeah, that's the thing too, isn't it? To, to know uh, that they're, they're trying, they're, they're not trying to be off-putting or uh, insensitive. Yeah. They're, they're trying and, and it's so hard to think that the people who are grieving have to be the ones to understand, isn't it? You know, with that, there can be just so much that is on the family, uh, caring for their, their child or young one. And so <clears throat> for you, Patty, you know, there's so much that's involved. And in the process, just being the family member, you can deal with a lot of anxiety, going to treatment, figuring things out. As Bobby mentioned, thinking about other people in the family. Uh, so I guess what advice would you give to family members who are dealing with their own anxiety but also still having to show up for their child that's maybe going through a tough time. I mean, I think that what I said earlier really stands true for this too, which is acknowledge it. If you are able to say, I don't necessarily know what this is, but I don't feel right. You know, I might not be able to say I'm feeling anxious, right. but I could say I'm not sleeping or I'm, you know, I'm unsettled. <laughs> you know, you sort of get that unsettledness. I think that if you get to a place where you're able to be clear and say something's not right, um, that, that goes a long way. I also think that keeping a routine and knowing that this doesn't define you, what is happening isn't defining you. You get to define that and you get to sort of meter that. And I think that that will be something that will help people along the way. But I, I do think that sort of talking about checkups from the neck up and sort of s taking away the, the, oh, mental health treatment is for crazy people or mental, I think acknowledging it and being able to say, this isn't right. And I, I do think that that goes back to the first question is, which is, can I have open communication and be accepted for exactly who I am mm -hmm. in this, in the messiness of I'm feeling anxious? Uh, we'd like to pause just a moment here to, to see if any of you have any any questions uh, about any of the subjects or uh, the the subject matter actually that we've discussed so far. If you do, we want to give you that that opportunity. Uh, we always look for our leadoff hitter, uh, and uh, please don't be shy if you have a question now. And if, and if you don't, uh, you know, feel free anytime to raise your hand, and and we will. You know, we'll make sure we get to you. And until that time comes, uh, Dr. George, we did have a, a question from, from one of the folks here. Uh, and it comes from a parent whose child is now in, in remission. Uh, thankfully, good, good news. 
it reads, as a parent of someone whose child is now in remission, how can I continue to provide my child with happiness and optimism in life when I fear that the illness may come back? I feel I am scared from everything our family went through. How do you approach that? Yeah, you know, I think about a few things. I think about, you know, what Patty mentioned about being honest. Um, thinking about, you know, who can you be honest with? Can, if you have a partner or a family member, can you be honest with that person that you're feeling these things? And then being able to be honest even with those in your family to be able to talk about it. But one of the things I love that my wife and I talk about is that sometimes we forget how much of a mirror we are. <laughs> like our kids show us who we are. Uh, and that Explain that a little uh, bit. So, so what I mean by that is that that our, you know, our kids will show us if we're happy or not, if we are, are, are having a, a good moment or not, that even some of their behaviors and mannerisms show us like who we are. And, and so I think about in terms of keeping it light or happy that we should try to model that. That doesn't mean to like have fun or, you know, I love the thought of like, you know, infinity and beyond. Like there's, there's a playfulness in the seriousness, right? There's a way of saying, let's have fun. Let's do something that you might enjoy, even though there's some serious things that we have to endure. So as a parent, I have to be willing to get down and, and on my knees or watch the show or be silly. And that models that. That's the mirror that I'm talking about, that if we okay. do it, they will mirror it to us. But you can't be false either. No. In that, can you? And that's that's really important to, again, be your authentic self because kids see through faster than anybody, right? Because they are. They, they know when you're sad or when you're uh, off or different. But if you can show them, I can feel sad, but I can also still laugh. I can still hug you. I can still have a good time, even though I want to cry or even though I might be crying. It's OK. And it's OK to cry. That's the other thing. right? I mean, um, human emotions are, are just that. And they're human. And we're all thankfully human. Uh, Dr. George, you had another question for Bobby. Yes. Yeah, so, Bobby, uh, We've talked before about how you are currently uh, a baseball coach after spending the years playing the game with teammates of your own. How important of a role uh, can teammates play when faced with challenges, not only as uh, not only with a teammate being diagnosed, but uh, with cancer or any any type of illness like that? I love this question because I love talking about my team. Yeah. But yeah, so I coach a I coach a 15U travel baseball team, and I've been with them since they were 10U. Um, and every season, I say to them, you know, whether they're 10U or whether they're a high school player, I have two rules. Number one is to control the things you can't control. Right? That's usually your energy, your effort, your enthusiasm, your focus. Okay, that's always number one. Number two, but probably more importantly, probably should be number one, is to be a good teammate. Right? I think. I think baseball is the hardest sport there is. I'm happy to debate anyone at any time, but I, I truly believe that. And it's it's a team game, but it's a very individualized team game. So when you make a mistake, when you strike out, when you make an error, when you walk someone, yes, you feel bad for yourself, but I think you know what hurts more is that you feel like you're letting the team down, right? Like you did something that hurt, that did not advance the team's best interests. And we just had games on Saturday, and I said to my team, it can be a very lonely feeling. Um, so, you know, always being there to pick up your teammates, to make sure they're doing okay, to, to, you know, the second they make a mistake, you pick them right back up and let them know, hey, next play, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna keep working, we're gonna get better, we're gonna learn from it. Um, and you know, conversely, when they have success to celebrate that success, right? It, again, it's a really hard game. So, you know, I encourage our guys to celebrate their success, not in a mean or nasty way, but in a just a, a fun and, uh, you know, collaborative way, I would say. So one of the reasons I love coaching so much is because I think there's a lot of parallels to life. And I think the things that you learn on a baseball field or a basketball court or whatever your sport may be or whatever activity it may be, a lot of those traits and those characteristics that you learn can be carried over to different aspects of life. Um, so, you know, as a teammate, as a baseball player, like whether it's making an error or whether it's something much more serious as, you know, a cancer diagnosis or whatever may come your way, being in it together, being a community, you know, whether you're an official teammate on the exact same team or whether you're a metaphorical team as a family, as friends, whatever it may be, I think it's incredibly important to lean on your community. And, you know, it, it for me as a coach, it's really cool to see that, you know, when that all comes together and, you know, obviously you never want a kid to make a mistake or anything, but, you know, what's more powerful to me and I think what lasts longer is the teammate that goes over and picks that person up because I think that's something that can carry them, like you said, um, you know, outside of baseball, but through a cancer diagnosis, through just tough situations. 
Bobby and Patty, throw this one at you. And it kind of goes off what you're saying, Bobby. Uh, if you have a team uh, that has a child who has cancer on it as a player, or you're a teacher and you have a student who has, has cancer, uh, how important is it uh, to treat them like every other kid in the class or every other kid on the team? Yeah, do you want to take that first? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that the reality is, is that we all want to be treated um, equally. And I think that we err on the side of being overly cautious mm -hmm. around people who have children who are sick. It's terrible. Um, when TJ asked me to do this and I saw the topic, I was like, I wrote back and I said, this is a hard one. Like, this is not an easy one to talk about because we're talking about kids. And I think that I want to be recognized separate from my siblings. And I think it's important for me to be encouraged to have my own identity, mm. not attached to, I have a sick sibling. Mm -hmm. Not easy to do. No. Because I think we're all compassionate people and we have emotions and we, we want to be empathetic. But I also think we err on the side of being overly empathetic and that's dangerous too. Right. Bob, your thoughts? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. Um, you know, it's like you said, you know, kids that are, have, are dealing with cancer, whatever it may be, they just want to be treated normally and fairly. And, you know, when they're with among a group, they, they don't want to, you know, stand out because of something that is hindering them. They, they want to stand out for their own merits or, you know, they want to do the things that other kids are doing. I think that's often the toughest part. I think for my brother and sister-in-law, the biggest thing they wanted to get plays back to school and in the classroom and just doing normal kid things. Um, and yeah, I think it, I think it's, it's, it's incredibly important to, to see them as individuals and not as, you know, oh, they're dealing with this. It's no, they're another member of this group and we want to make sure that they feel as welcome and as, as appreciated as normal as any other uh, kid that we would be working with. Dr. George, Bobby was a part of our organization's efforts uh, to bring a smile uh, to a, a young boy, a five-year-old boy who was in remission after fighting cancer, uh, redecorating his room to be an entire Phillies room. We had about 12 members of our front office there uh, and painting and putting up posters. Uh, Bryce Harper, Aaron Nola signed, a, signed his wall, things like that. The question, though, I think, which was really important was the family also has a older sister to this boy uh, named Aubrey, and she was included in everything we did. And I think they probably TJ can correct me if I'm wrong. I probably they probably made sure that they wanted that to happen, that the two children were treated equally. How important is that in a family dynamic when you have cancer involved? I think it's very important. I think, according you know, what Patty was just saying, that we want to be celebrated individually, but we also don't want to be left out. We don't want to, like, this amazing thing is happening, and yes, it's because my brother's in remission, but I also want to feel like I'm a part of the celebration. I want to feel like I'm a part of the family. So to be included says that we're not forgetting about you. And I think that's also mm -hmm. sometimes the difficulties when a child in a family is dealing with uh, cancer or something difficult. Sometimes a lot of attention can be placed on that child. And then the other child feels left out and sometimes feels like they need to either be perfect or needs to be not perfect <laughs> to get some attention. Mm -hmm. and, and so when we celebrate them too, it allows them to feel like we see you and we, we celebrate you even, even though you're not the one dealing with the illness, mm -hmm. but that you are also dealing with it as a family member as well. And I think just to piggyback off of that, sure. I mean, from my own personal experience, Blaze's little sister, Lucy, for my brother and sister-in-law, was really important for her to make it to all of her activities, to make it to dance class, swim class, because they didn't want to say to her, oh, you can't go to this because you're of your brother's cancer. Um, they didn't want her to feel that neglect. So I 100% agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. George, you had another question uh, for Patty. 
<laughs> well, I always have a question for Patty. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, w- I was thinking actually, um, you just recently opened uh, a new center. Um, and I was thinking about when you mentioned how we all want to be treated fairly and the same. Uh, can you also maybe highlight how important it is when we think about whether people can afford treatment, when we think about other disparities, uh, and and how important it is to show up for people in various communities? Uh, I would imagine that's part of the reason why uh, you opened where you did. Yeah. I also just want to add that when Please. when we don't sort of look at the whole family, we do create some artificial crises that then we sort of have to go back and repair. And so it's better to not have to go back and repair something that we didn't have to create in the first place. Explain so, that a little bit if you could. So, so by, by creating artificial crises, we, we sort of have these, you know, if, if Blaze's sister, Lucy, didn't get to go to her activities, you know, she then acts out in a way that then requires some intervention that we didn't need to do, right? And so if we're thoughtful about the things that we need to do ahead of time, then we're preventing things from having to be fixed that didn't need to get fixed, is what I'm saying. That's what I meant by not perfect, the right. acting out. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that it's okay for things not to be perfect. I mean, I don't, I, I think that that's an okay thing. But to answer your question about disparities, I, I mean, I think we see this all through the city. Um, we live in a city that is currently riddled with gun violence. People don't seek treatment in areas that are not safe. And uh, how could we expect them to s- seek services that are not safe? I think it is our responsibility to embed ourselves in places that are safe. And uh, Penn Medicine's uh, crisis response center out in West Philly is a good example of that. It was closed several years ago, and then the city um, came back and said, hey, this is a community who needs this. They shouldn't have to travel far to get psychiatric services. It should be in their neighborhood. And so we uh, reopened it in their own community. And I would say that CHOP is doing a fantastic job right in line with Penn Medicine in terms of opening up a child crisis response center in the same building with two adolescent inpatient inpatient units. So I think trying to embed ourselves, I think the other thing that that does is embed us in places that people are already getting treatment. So in pediatric primary care practices, in other places where people get treatment, because whether you acknowledge it or not, I will tell you as clear as I sit here today, people will not walk into a brick and mortar community mental health center because of the stigma. And we've got to get past that. And so if I'm in your primary care practice, you have no idea why I'm there. I could be there for a vaccination. I could be there for a mental health treatment. But it doesn't matter because we've normalized that. And that's really where, in terms of health disparities around mental health treatment, we have got to start doing checkups from the neck up when you go to your first pediatric appointment. And then it's just standard. It is a mm-hmm. standard part of everything we do. That makes so much sense. Dr. George, it, it's, it seems uh, it, it must be a very real feeling when you're a father, mother of a child with cancer, that your whole world is spinning out of control, that you just can't seem to get a grip on anything. You're all consumed with your child's illness. What are some ways that you can try to regain control? And, and obviously one of them is to seek professional help. Always to, to get the support, to be able to see others. You know, uh, to your point, like I, I know families, when your child has a hundred plus fever, right? You're, you're overwhelmed by it and I don't know what to do. Uh, and then when you talk about childhood cancer, when you talk about going to get treatment or even trying to figure out a diagnosis, it is extremely overwhelming and you feel lost. You feel like you don't know what to do or who to talk to. And so it is important that you have companionship, right? Whether you're partnered or not, who is it that you can talk to that you can maybe release some of it with? Hopefully a therapist, but there might be like a good girlfriend or a cousin or uh, 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 someone that you are connected Mm to. Uh, It's also important to be able to have those respite moments where you're saying, I can take five minutes for myself 
I can take five minutes for my relationship. I can take five minutes for our family. And it's very hard to do because you're so in the trenches. Mm -hmm. right? But sometimes coming to a ball game is that moment that you needed to just focus on something else. And if you can do that, sometimes it can help you to kind of get that time back or to, to have a moment because you know the next day you're gonna have to fight that battle yeah. once again. Patty, does that mean trying to normalize whenever possible? It's okay not to be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that really is true. It's okay. And that, uh, you know, I said this before, but I really want to reiterate, this doesn't have to define you. Mm-hmm. You know, and some things are out of our control. And I think if you can get to that place, it doesn't fix it, but it does help ease it. Good point. Bobby, a question for you. Who's a role model that you look to as far as in your life when it comes to a positive mental health? Uh, yes, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I really feel like it's my brother and my sister-in-law. Um, you know, when Blaze passed away, I was not a father, but I'm a father now. I have two little girls, and the thought of losing one of them, I mean, it would it would break me. I don't know if I could ever get out of bed. Like, I just, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Um, and for them to not only keep going on with their lives and keep raising, you know, their, their other three children. Um, but not only that, but to, you know, see Blaze's life as a gift and as the beauty that it was and to, you know, carry that memory forward with the start of the foundation and to understand that, you know, these cures and these breakthroughs that are hopefully coming will not be around to save Blaze's life, but they'll be hopefully around to save future kids' lives. I mean, I think to, to, un- to see his life and then to, to like I said, only find beauty in it, and then you know, use that as a as a use his memory as a springboard to do good in this world. Um, it's it's incredibly powerful to me, and again, a strength that I could never never even comprehend. So, I well, think, uh, and again, Petty, he may not think he can do it, but we do find strength only when we need it. <laughs> you can do it. Well, hopefully, I would. Don't have don't to. Have yeah, to. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, I would never have to. Yeah. Well, Scott. You know, I like that question, and I know that you've shared many experiences. You've been to, you've had many conversations with people. You've been around many cities, many wonderful experiences. So I wonder who would be your role model, and to the point of if you had to go through anything difficult, how would that role model help you or support you? It's a really good question, and you're and you're right. I've had the opportunity and the good fortune to be around a lot of people, not, not so much important people, but people I thought really kind of had a handle on life. And, and one, of the, one of my biggest role models, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. His name uh, was Jerry Siegel. Uh, Jerry was an attorney in Philadelphia who went uh, to San Francisco uh, because the doctor there was the, the best that he could find for a cervical issue. And uh, the doctor did a terrible job. And when Jerry woke up, uh, he could only blink and stick out his tongue. And the doctor uh, said, well, you know, this, is, this happens now and then. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm sorry. Well, you know, I'm sorry it doesn't really work in that way. But Jerry was, was such a strong man. Uh, he never sued the doctor or the hospital. He thought that would be counterproductive to his recovery. Uh, and he went to McGee Hospital. We have a good relationship with McGee, with the Phillies. And his goal was to walk his daughter down the aisle before the year was over. And through muscle memory and through nonstop hard work uh, and a, a halo on his head and, and what he called his two, two, two irons because he played golf. And he taught himself to play golf again, which was amazing. He did that. But Jerry was such a positive person. And, and that's what I've always tried to, to think about when I'm, I tend to be a little negative at times, like this, this can't happen. Uh, and I think about Jerry and you know, he wouldn't allow the word can't. Uh, and without him now, uh, he and I had a, a good mutual friend uh, who I still see, uh, my wife and I uh, see him and his wife and um, talk a lot about Jerry. And he's, he's a strong man as well. And uh, those those two people, uh, you would think I'd say something about somebody in sports or, or, or you know, um, in the arts, but but not really. Just sometimes you find the strongest people and your biggest role models in everyday folks. 
who do extraordinary things. So that's, I think, how, I'd, how I would answer it. Oh, I love that. Uh, I, and I, I agree. The thought of being able to find strength in people and how they face everyday struggles. Uh, and you just learn so many lessons. I mean, I can imagine learning lessons from your brother and sister or learning from the people that walk in the office every day. Uh, I see that in my clients. That I gain strength and positivity from some of the things that they do. And I'm there trying to help them. So I totally get that. So that's yeah. great. Uh, we have uh, another uh, question, uh, I guess, Patty. Uh, your background dealing with trauma. Uh, although trauma does exist, uh, when an illness such as cancer comes into lives, from your experience, what are some of the positive, and it's hard even to think about this and call them silver linings, uh, but what are some of those things that families can take away after a long battle with an illness such as cancer? One of the most obvious and uh, is that it does put life into perspective. And you don't know it when you're in it. But when you get out of it, it does put things in perspective. So I would say that that's probably one of the things that, that comes out of this. And it's not just true with people with cancer. It's, it's traumatic experiences when people are able to work through them they have a different experience of life. That, that's one. I think the other is that it helps you become part of a larger community and then you become a resource for somebody else. And you didn't expect that. I imagine with the foundation, with all foundations, that's sort of the premise is that you're doing something from your own experience and giving to somebody else who's experiencing the same thing. And that I would also say it's what you just said about, you know, muscle. We all have psychological muscle. This really grows your psychological muscle. When you're challenged with traumatic experiences, it grows your psychological muscle and you become stronger and more resilient. Bobby just said he didn't think if something happened to one of his two girls, he could, he could get through it. But is there something about the human spirit that when we need to call on it the most, uh, it can be there for us? I think it's more about desire than the human spirit. I think that it's more about the wanting to and not crawling up in a ball and saying, I can't. And the thing I would add to that, just from working with people, sometimes when we're in it, we forget our own strength. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's one of the things I love about being a therapist is that I sometimes can help remind people of their strength because I've been there long enough. I can say like, you know, remember that time when you did this and remember that time when you did that. And then all of a sudden they start to remember like, oh yeah, I did do that. And so it builds up that psychological muscle of saying, I am resilient. I, I can overcome things because I've done it before. And even though this is probably the hardest thing I'm going through right now, there's parts of me that have been through harder things or at some point that I can use that to deal with this thing. Mm -hmm. Good answer. We again want to give you the opportunity if you have a question uh, and, and uh, give you some time to, to ask it. Uh, and uh, if, if there are no further questions, we're going to kind of get to the home stretch here. Yes, please. Yes. A familiar face. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing your experiences and uh, words of wisdom. Uh, I was wondering if you have any um, tips or words of advice for parents, caregivers, family members that struggle with the emotion of guilt, whether that's guilt at, well, did I miss something? Could have it had been picked up earlier or even survivor guilt? Yeah. Oh, boy. That's so tough, isn't it? That, that, yeah, that, that's a whole other half hour or so. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I had a mentor once that said guilt is a useless emotion. And in some ways, that's true. Um, but in other ways, it's an emotion that 
if you don't pay attention to it, it will consume you. Mm. And so I think I would say back to, to your question is really about the first question, which is how do we manage in an uncertain sort of realm and, and, it, and guilt and anxiety and, and sort of all, all of that bundled into, you know, who do we go to? How do we acknowledge it? And I think you have to be able to use your networks in order to be able to keep saying, this is hard. I'm in a bad place. I feel really guilty. And you have to have those trusted people who are going to say you're okay and be able to come back and not say I get it because I don't get it. You know, but to be able to say, I hear you, this must be very hard and, you know, walk the journey with them. And I, I think that's the best thing to do is that because it's not going to go away on its own. It's just not. Dr. George, you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, I think about that. You know, guilt is one of those things that we all feel that we probably should if we <laughs> if we were able to resist and I just see families struggle with guilt in so many ways, right? Uh, one person makes the team, the other person doesn't. Someone gets an A, the other person, you know, fails a class. And it builds. And then when we talk about, like, dealing with, you know, really serious things like cancer or even the thought of losing a child, it, yeah, it can be there. And I think the other part of this, which is hard, but I've seen people get to, is gratitude, right? Can I can I embrace what am I grateful for? Because it's probably somewhere next to that guilt, right? If I can embrace that somehow my path led me to this amazing thing and I'm grateful for that and not lean, lean into the guilt of that or because of this amazing opportunity that I have, even in the adversity, are there other people I can help? Are there other ways that I can shine light or provide resources or help research with what you all are doing? Or even, you know, what we're, you know, the, the wristband with Corey's promise that we're doing now. Like all those things are sometimes there's a way that we can lean into that. And I, when I see people make the shift from guilt to gratitude, I think it, it makes a big difference of how they interact with other people. That's a great guilt to gratitude. You're right. That could be I'm, a whole other band. I'm, I'm going to trademark it right now. <laughs> Before we let our terrific panel uh, get away, we want to ask them one final question. And it can double as a question or a call to action, actually. How can we as a community spread awareness of mental health and help those who are currently battling cancer as well as their family members? And Dr. George will let you take this one to begin with, and then we'll go right around the horn. You know, I just always think about, I was in a conversation recently uh, about how we just don't know our neighbors anymore and uh, and how sometimes we don't know what someone is experiencing. Uh, you know, like I have neighbors on two sides and I've probably talked to them maybe three times in like four years, right? And so I don't even know what my neighbors are going through and sometimes I don't know what my friends are going through. I don't even know what sometimes my family is going through. And just having this conversation reminds me sometimes it's important just to check in with people. How are you doing? And it might not be childhood cancer, but th there could be going through an illness. They could go through a tough time. And I think just being able to show up for other people is a, a value of ours. And I, that's what I encourage for other people. And my mom would always say like, she's done amazing things for other people. She's shown up for other people, not for herself but for the hope and belief that someone would show up for me. And so the thought of like, if we could show up for other people, someone might show up for people that you care about as well. So that, that's what I'm leaving today with. It's a good answer. Patty? I would say two things. One is that in all the years that I did therapy, which I really wasn't a good therapist, let me say that. That's why I'm an administrator now. <laughs> um, but I help people be good therapists. Um, I would say that it boils down to two things, and that is that people want to be picked and they want to be loved. Mm -hmm. And if we go into our everyday lives remembering that people want to be picked and loved, regardless of what age we are, then that's one thing. The other thing I would say is it's okay to say you don't seem okay, but don't ask if you don't want to know. Uh. That, that's the flip side of it is. But it's okay to say, hey, you don't seem yourself. And if... You want to say, I'm not myself, that's fine. But at least you've opened the door and you've been given an invitation to, I see you, I notice you don't seem okay. 
mm-hmm. move in that direction. But again, I'll caution you not to ask if you don't want to know. Right, for sure. Bobby? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you both hit the nail on the head. But yeah, for me, it's about leaning on the community around you. And I'm not a... Uh, mental health professional or anything like that, but I do love the saying, it's it's okay to not be okay. Um, and, you know, tying this into the topic today, for my brother and sister-in-law, they started a blog during Blaze's treatment just for the, the highs and the lows. So people just can check in and, you know, see how they're doing and how they're getting by, um, you know, rather than answering the question a million times, how are you doing, how are you doing, how's Blaze doing, how's Blaze doing? Because um, that can get exhausting. But being able to give people a glimpse into your day-to-day life and b- let it be a release for you, and whether that's child of cancer or whatever, whatever struggle you are going through, I think it's leaning on the community around you and understanding, um, you know, that, that there shouldn't be a stigma around this and that, you know, your, your mental health is paramount. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, as far as spreading awareness, I think that's what it is, is these types of discussions and, you know, getting rid of that stigma and, um, making people aware that, you know, this is, this is important and it's, uh, you know, something that we can really work on as, as a community and as, as individuals. Bobby, your, your uh, brother and sister-in-law sound like amazing people. Thank you. I'm for just hoping they don't see this because of all the nice things I'm saying. about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, uh, for being part of this panel and, and uh, providing some, some great insight. Thank you. As, as well as Patty. Uh, we really appreciate you coming back and, our, our co-host, uh, Dr. George, I can't believe we're wrapping this up. I was thinking the same thing, Scott. I mean, it was six times we've done this the whole season. We've been here and it's been a pleasure. And I'm wondering, what's it like for you? We're, we're wrapping the, the season of Strike Out the Sigma. How do you feel about it? Well, I think we got some baseball games to play. Right? Yeah. Right well, now. not that season, this season. <laughs> I know. Uh, but now that this season is over, I'll concentrate a little bit more on the other season. Uh, so we thank you all. And, and again, a special thanks to T.J. Farrell for, for putting this together. Uh, really appreciate it, T.J. You make it easy. And, uh, and finally, thanks to all of you. For, for being here, for giving your time up and uh, coming here to take part in a, in a very serious discussion. If you have any loved ones uh, at home or uh, close friends, neighbors who are fighting cancer, our, our thoughts are with you. And we only hope for positive outcomes. Uh, and we'll end, as we always do here before a game, with a hearty Go Phils. Thanks, go everybody. Phils. <laughs>